in American movies, maybe it's from Ray Window. You're yeah, not a weirdo for using binoculars <laughs> to look at your neighbours. From you're not a weirdo. They're the weird one if they're doing something in their house. Like yeah. that already says so much about the American psyche. That's so wild. We continue this week with our brief foray for films here on Foreplay into 1980s vampire films. As usual, subscribe to this channel. You'll get this and Nerd Legion. It's great content. And please, it helps us a lot. So go ahead and do that. This week, we are going to be talking about the 1985 film Fright Night. And this is mm. quite the tonal shift from the very atmospheric, brooding, dark movie that we watched last week, The Hunger, into a rather intentionally campy teenage vampire comedy slash drama by the end it gets more dramatic as as time goes on really fun film though really interesting pays deep homage to decades of of kind of b-tier horror movies with some of the characters and the concepts that are addressed in the film and i think it's held up super well and is is just a lot of fun yeah i mean look uh, it's like i we were saying before we hit record I, when I was watching this, I was like, you know, I, I know I have a vague awareness that I like this film. I liked it at the time. I remember watching it, you know, uh, when I was young. This was this was one of the sanctioned movies in my family because it has this sort of veneer of, of being almost like um, a type of movie we don't have now, which is the edgy kids adventure, right? The edgy yeah. kids adventure, like Goonies, you know? I mean, we don't really have this, that type man. of film anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 so I, I got to watch. I remember being super excited when the sequel came out. You know, like this this movie for me was always like a nice little piece of like almost like my childhood because it was you had all the excitement of watching like a fifteen rated movie or whatever it was in the UK, uh, uh, but but being a kid, you know. But then watching it now, haven't watched this movie in a long, long time. What a fucking great script. What a super smart film this actually is. And it's got no right to be, uh, you know? I mean, this is a psychosexual coming-of-age teen drama about vampires. This could have been Twilight. It's like the good version <laughs> of Twilight, isn't it? I had thought yeah, about that. It's actually good. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was watching this film late last night. Uh, it's very fresh in the memory. And, yeah, I had a great time. This was a great film to revisit for me. This is actually a movie I didn't particularly enjoy, except okay. it's like I thought the second half was good. Like I enjoyed the effects and especially like how it gets quite crazy towards the end. Like I mm. thought some of the really over the top stuff, like obviously we'll do the premise in a minute, but basically where like the girlfriend transforms and all that shit and then the werewolf, and all that, that stuff's all great. I just didn't like the first half, basically. The problem mm. with the first half is like, first of all, this is like one of the first movies this director has ever made. And as a result, some of the actors are actually fucking appalling. Like some of the actors, <laughs> like the main 
main fucking protagonist boy, the person who plays sort of like the non-vampire one of the two guys that moves in the house. That guy is actually unbelievably bad at acting. The one who's just going like, hey, yeah, Dad, yeah, Charlie, what am I doing here? Like, who the fuck is who, Whose cousin is this? Why are you in this? But it's such an early movie, I get that. So the key thing is you have to get through the first half of the movie. If you can get through the first half, which is pretty slow, and essentially it will seem really weird because the first half you'll just think like, how is the more movie? Isn't this just like he's found out like, essentially the premise is a good one. It just wasn't as well executed as I'd want. Like basically, there's a, especially in the era when I grew up, not just for movies, there was a million children slash young, t- like young adults books, as they were called, when I was growing up that had this plot. It's either the teacher is an alien or a vampire or some sort of supernatural figure. You're the only one who's figured it out. Everyone else, including all your peers and the other people at school, said, no, it's not true. It's nonsense. And you constantly like confront them all like, no, look, he is. And then they're just going, what? No, no, you know, he's a little bit crazy about Vardy. And, like, and everyone's deciding with them. And it's like that feeling of like righteous indignation. Like, no, but I know I'm right. And like, that's the premise of which this movie is based. So I thought some of it was mega hawky to begin with, but it, it is pretty good once you get past the middle part. I can, I can understand why Richard enjoys this movie so much because it reminds me a lot of Richard's career where he's like, he just says something bad's <laughs> happening and then nobody believes him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does have that body snatchers element to it. Yeah, when Duncan's right, you know, like nobody believes the kid. Uh, but, but you know, it, it, it look, I, I uh, the real reason I like this movie is I think, first of all, this is a movie made by someone who clearly loves horror movies and knows the history yeah. of horror movies. Someone who just loves movies in general. There's so many movies referenced in this, even with, you know, even stuff like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. There's a little nod to that in this movie. It, 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 so, so there's that. And also, do you remember when movies used to be fucking fun? <laughs> Do you remember fun, guys? Like, I'm not even... It is really I know fun. I sound like really... such a boomer right now, but, like, dude, do you remember when you could watch a movie, it, you're in and out, right? It's it, We're not fucking around. It's an hour and 40 minutes. That's pretty... That's considered long. It, it, you could probably chop five, ten minutes out this movie, honestly. But we're going to give you an experience. We're going to give you big campy performances, memorable villains. Roddy McDowell is fantastic He's in so this good. movie. <laughs> um, and, and what a wonderful swan song for, for for his career, you know, like to be remembered as this like little iconic horror figure for a, for a character actor. I never really thought got the respect he deserves when placed alongside the pantheon of great actors from his generation. But I mean, it's, it's just fucking fun, guys. Like, it's just fun. It's just, it's just a silly little movie with some of it has aged poorly, attitude, sensibilities, uh, but it's big effect. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's it's big effects. And what's great about this film is uh, it, it 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 tells a story where I think everyone has a satisfying character arc. You know, you you can't say that. But this was a summer movie. You can't say that about summer movies this, these days. They're tr- they're all the same. I'm not even having fun. I'm like, oh, I've got to watch this because if I if I don't watch the post credit sequence to this movie, I won't understand the next ten movies. And it's 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 awful now. No one's having fun. This was fun. This 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 is childhood fun. This is fucking great. I think what's so fun about this movie is that it both takes all of the tropes from the the B horror movies, but it also elevates them and becomes something more. 
by the end. Mm. Like it kind of fools you in the beginning that that's the trajectory it's going on. But the second half of the movie really picks up the pace and it, yeah. you, it shows off the budget that this film had and the expertise. And it actually is very visually impressive and supersedes a lot of those horror movies. So I thought it was clever in the way that it, it very clearly paralleled kind of schlocky films from earlier generations. And then took that genre to the next level by the end of the movie. And to me, that that transformation is the most interesting part. Fantastic framing device as well. Oh, yeah. Films within films. Oh, so good. Meta references. It's great. The film is Fright Night. You're watching Fright Night, but the main character tunes into a show regularly called Fright Night. They then reenact the scene from that person who's on Fright Night's movies, uh, Orgy of Blood, which is referenced in this movie. Dude, this is like, this is a fucking really smart script. Yeah, it's it's great. It's yeah, totally agree. Okay, so let me describe the premise of this. Christopher's movie. plot breakdown. <laughs> Here we <laughs> go. <laughs> right. I, I try. All right. So this is set up. So there is this teenage kid uh, who lives next door to this man who is apparently quite handsome. Who bought this house? Uh, he has a roommate who it turns out is his you know vampire undead familiar. It's the Renfield to his Dracula, basically. So his house gets. He's a horror fan who watches this show. Which, if you guys don't know the history of this, oftentimes these B movies were shown on TV, and they had a host who would introduce the film and and frame it. So there's a show called Fright Night, which then drags up all of these old. Uh, horror films from over the decades, puts them on TV. He's a fan of this show, okay? And so he's a huge, like, horror fan. This vampire moves next door. He eventually realizes through observation and spying, basically, that he is a vampire and that he's been killing prostitutes that go to the house. Really kind of edgy to have, like, a bunch of prostitutes go to this house and then end up headless in what is a nice neighborhood. In a nice neighborhood, in a teenager movie. I I thought that was a very bold choice. Kind of surprised they got away with that. So he starts connecting these murders to the vampire and he goes to the police, but then he wigs out while the police are there. Now, why the police took him along with him onto an interrogation is completely mysterious, but it's whatever. For the sake of the plot, it's fine. It's hilarious the way he's just going along. And what's going on here? It's like, that is hilarious. (laughs) It's like, I just brought this teenage kid who reported this crime. Now let's go investigate it together, child. No. Uh, So... They go, he he starts freaking out, accusing this guy of being a vampire. Therefore, the familiar of the vampire is able to downplay it. And then the vampire starts hunting this teenage kid and his friends at night. Um, and then what happens is they realize that he thinks, well, the only person who's going to believe me is this guy named Peter Vincent, who is the host of the Fright Night, the fictional Fright Night TV show, um, who's... You know. By the way, obviously he's supposed to be a reference Vincent to Price. Vincent Price. Yes, of course. <laughs> just from the name alone. And Peter, Peter, Peter Cushing. Yeah, Peter yeah. Cushing, Vincent Price, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and we'll get into it, but they actually, I, I think, did try and cast Vincent Price in this they role, oh, okay. which would have been terrible, by the way. So we're really glad that didn't happen. Very different movie. <laughs> just in the same way that I complained about Bowie breaking me out of the moment in The Hunger, had Vincent Price been Peter Vincent in this movie, I think it would have been really bad. Uh, because it, it it would just completely it would shatter the fourth wall in a way that yeah. I I find really uncomfortable. Um, 
<clears throat> so they go get this actor, basically, and this actor is supposed to be a great vampire killer. Of course, he's just a fucking actor and has no idea what he's doing. So the the hilarious arc of Roddy McDowell, who plays Peter Vincent, uh, his, his character arc is that he has to find the bravery within himself to do the things that his fictional character does, uh, which, you know, this is actually very valuable because I'm not aware of this idea coming up in a previous movie, but the idea that the actors have to then become the heroes of the movie becomes mm. the core of some really good movies later on, like Three Amigos and Galaxy Quest, which are both yes. fucking great movies. And so the I, that idea, I'm not sure if it started here, but this is the first instance I'm aware of this. Uh, do you guys know of any other times? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. It's been so long since I checked in with those movies, because. Uh, I mean, obviously, Galaxy Quest references Seven Samurai, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and I'm and I'm sure it's been a long time since Seven Samurai. Isn't there one dude in there who isn't really a samurai and he misrepresents his shit uh, to get paid? No, 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 no I'm, I I believe so. It's been a long time since I've seen Seven, yeah. Seven Samurai as well. Um, but I'm just saying, like so, the concept of the actors having to become right. their characters, yeah, yeah, specifically I mean, the actor. Yeah, I, I I think you know it it will have been done almost certainly, but maybe not in such a sort of smart meta narrative kind of way. Yeah, because you know this is this this film it doesn't break the fourth wall as such, but what it what it does is it has this very you know smart awareness of yeah you know you understand these references you know what's going on yeah. you know that there's like tv horse that introduced b movies at 10 o'clock at night you know elvira was you know popular sure. for example oh, and yeah. who became and, a movie know, figure herself which is uh, yeah and, and, and then <laughs> they did they did that a lot in the elvira movies as well she really it wasn't just she was a tv horse but then oh, oh she had all the dark arts and witchcraft powers and all this in real life and would get into adventures and stuff so it, there's a lot of smart stuff going on with the way they construct this story i know what monty means though i think he means the fact that like you know as i said in the hunger there was actually nothing in that that even implied anyone knew what a vampire was like, they don't even say mm. the word vampire in this what's weird about it and makes it a very unusual movie is that it is a movie where the conceit is well of course vampires aren't real but we're yeah, all yeah. watching movies about them all the time yeah, and yeah. we all know everything about them but that's why no one would believe it was real because yep. that actually is like that does bake your noodle if you think about it because the whole premise would be if it was real it wouldn't be in fiction would it so like that that part actually essentially adds an extra layer of protection yes. for the bad guy from anyone ever believing it's real and then crucially for me what they do in this movie that I think they did a good job with is like I say the first half just looks like it's just a bad horror movie you're like well, I was just going to go like where's it going to end but then what they do in the second half essentially because it does set up the ultimate thing where no one believes this guy at all essentially it allows them to just do some really crazy scenes after yes. that with like when like his friend gets turned into a familiar and then all the scenes with like you say the price yeah. character going and trying to kill her and basically by the way it's funny actually because if people don't know the main actor of the vampire is the guy who gave Susan Sarandon the Sarandon it was his yes. that was his wife Liv. Yeah. so this Chris, guy who Chris plays Sarandon, that role yeah. was in a bunch of 80s movies if people remember he carries this movie oh he's great because basically he is actually the only like legit good actor aside from maybe the Roddy McDowell character in this movie yes. like, he actually does a good job <laughs> and especially because I'll actually preempt Richard here to me the underlying theme of this movie I'm not usually into like the secondary themes that I just enjoy movies as they are but to me it's obviously the sexual component isn't it oh, like yeah. the whole first scene is that this guy because he thinks he's seen something doesn't actually make use of his opportunity of his girlfriend essentially saying let's have sex for the first time I've decided mm. to commit to this idea and he doesn't do 
that. And then later on in the movie, it's not unconnected. His girlfriend falls for this super fucking charismatic, like good looking vampire very guy handsome. who wants her. And then he's offering her like that. That she's a very clever, like you say, a scripted way to make it like it's, she's not just an idiot for going for it in that sense. Like there's like, there's a whole underlying tension there that's at play the whole time for me. Yeah, and I well, uh, yeah, I will so, we'll get, hold on. Let me finish the, the yeah, so yeah, basically yeah, do, what do, happens. Do the <laughs> just what happens is I we we got I I sidetracked us a little bit. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> what happens is the rest of the movie is this actor then uh, going up becoming the vampire hunter and them going into the, his gothic mansion and them trying to stake the beast right mm -hmm. um, while while he's like hunting them at night and they're in this nightclub being hunted and then they're entering the house to try and kill him in his lair and there's tons of really amazing practical effects that that occur as people turn into wolves and, and bats and explode and <laughs> really screen goo it's it's hilarious like it, it's great yeah i mean look the, the 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 key component to this uh definitely right at the beating throbbing heart of this movie is uh, the sexual aspect oh, it's great. Uh, of it. Uh, essentially, the way the uh, arc for the main character is constructed is he's been dating a girl for a year. Uh, the opening scene, uh, reminiscent of Halloween, you'll notice with the white picket fences and the tracking shot, and then there's a horror movie on the TV, and we go upstairs and they're making out, not even watching the movie, uh, is he's pressuring his girlfriend into sex. He is of that age where he wants to lose his virginity, and so... He, in this moment, isn't an attentive boyfriend and re reduces her to being a sex object. She relents, she acquiesces, she mentally prepares herself for the act of sex uh, and agrees to do it. But as he does that, he notices stupid, sexy vampire man has moved in next door. <laughs> and they're like, they're carrying a coffin. And he's got his binoculars out and he's looking through the window. And instead of sealing the deal with his girlfriend, which he was awfully, you know, being an awful piece of shit to try and pressure her into doing in the first place, he then decides not to do it. And in that moment, he essentially loses her. They don't talk for two days. And then by the time he gets around to talking to her, he's so obsessed with catching stupid, sexy vampire man that stupid, sexy vampire man is seducing her before his eyes. He's losing her, right? And so now he has to prove himself not just as a, uh, you know, boyfriend who wants a bit of the old in and out. It, it, he's actually got to become a sophisticated, attentive lover to win her back. It's like, this is what I mean about how everyone gets like a super cool arc in this story. Right? It's, 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 the, it sounds stupid, but trust me, guys, like this is, a, this is how you write scripts. This is great. It is, it is a really good exploration of the mysteriousness and 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 scariness of teenage sexuality because yeah. it starts with the, the amy i believe her name is amy the girlfriend yeah. uh she is scared clearly like scared and uncomfortable about having sex uh and rejects him at first before as richard says like preparing herself for that moment but it's the vampire is also a distraction to the guy because it seems like in that moment he says that he wants it, but he's so willing to be distracted by the vampire next door as if he is avoiding it because he too is afraid of the act of having sex for the first time. And there is an underlying nervousness to that. And he does avoid her. And he does, you know, he doesn't come back and ask for sex at any other point in the movie because it's it's almost as though once he gets to the brink, it is too much for him in many ways. And there is the display of uh, kind of more 
adult sexuality, which is the vampire uh, Jerry, Jer what's his name, Dandridge, I think his last name yeah. is, Jerry Dandridge, yes, Jerry Dandridge. Uh, who's played by Chris Sarandon, who's an incredibly handsome man in this movie. And so to have those And he scenes, fucking knows it as well. I know, it's great. He's so yeah. good. Uh, and to have these scenes later on where he is like, you know, very subtly seducing her while she's in his house for the first time. And she's like, oh, yes, I will come back to your house. And then she's in the club. Uh, and presumably this is her first as a teenager. She shouldn't be in this club in the first place. Right. And this is her first time uh, in that kind of environment and to be dancing with him and to have him be so confident and aware mm. and responsive to her sexually yes. and, and honestly quite caring is jarring compared to the ham-fisted teenage attempts that her boyfriend was making. So as yeah. an exploration of teenage sexuality and the, the, the terror that can be behind this thing that is completely unknown to you, I think this is really poignant in many ways. I mean, any teenage boy should be able to relate to that also because that's oh, another yeah. classic trope, isn't it? Like, you're yeah. the one fumbling around, don't know what you're doing, and then along comes the guy a couple of years older who you can <laughs> tell is a creep, but the girl doesn't get it. And, she, and it's the same scenario. You're just like, you can't, can't you see that's an obvious douchebag? And they're like, what do you mean? He's really cool. He's got a car. And you're like, oh, there's so much. <laughs> yeah. It's what I mean. It taps right into the heart of like, that sort of, you know, the straight sexuality, you know, makes you look at women differently. It makes you feel differently, act differently. There's like the societal pressure and status about being some sort of, you know, sexual conqueror and all this stuff. And and the fear is that you might just not be very good at it. You might, I mean, like, honestly, if, if you look at where we're at now, where you can sort of, you've got all these like grifters who are trying to like, you know, fucking tell boys this is how you, you know, if you get women and go to the gym, everything will click into place in your life and you'll be happy. And it, guys, trust, it, it, it's life is a lot more complicated than, than that. But um, yeah, you know, it's like you could, this movie is the fear distilled down to its barest essence that I have a girl, I love her, I want to do this thing, I can't. Um, and, and all of a sudden there's a guy who's going to do it better than me and very, you know, in front of me, he's going to fucking humiliate me, essentially emasculate me in a way that I can't compete with. And so that's a very real teenage male fear. Sure, I think. Yeah. And, and, and to, to transpose that and give it this vampire narrative, it, it's just great. It's just, it's like I said, this script is wonderful. I also have to say as well. I love the way they don't just make him want to seduce her, like to spite him. They write, they add a little story to the vampire that just gives him enough depth that he's not like a comic villain. And that is that he has a picture of the love through the ages that he, that he obviously had in his long, long life, his centuries old lover. And the painting of her that he keeps this decadent oil painting is the spitting image of, yes. you know, the girl. And so, that gives him a motivation that makes sense. And you could almost say it's a little bit sympathetic. So, yeah, I, I, as I said, I, I know this is schlock, but this is high art schlock. It is. <laughs> That's like, what's great about it, yeah. man. Like, yeah. it, 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 the concept is a very good concept overall, and it's done appropriately in the way that it should be. It should have many parallels to kind of schlocky, be horror movies right but 
it also belies surprising depth and treatment of its characters and is really very interesting in the way that these characters interact with each other and they grow throughout the movie. And the psychosexual component, there's a lot of truth in this. There's a lot of truth, even if it's very yeah. uncomfortable Awkward truth. Awkward truth, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The only thing is, I will bring up one part I did think was unforgivable, which is that scene where they're in that burger place and she just throws that like burger in his face or whatever. Like that that's is a, so that's unnecessary. That's just eighties teen shit, man. That's garbage, yeah. mate. What is that? <laughs> just take a just cut that scene. That should be on the cutting room floor. That's the rest of the movie's fine. Just get that out. What's that in there for? So she just goes over. The thing I hate about that is the two components. One is the trope that like whoever's meal that was just cool with you just taking it. I'll take that. Cheers. Like oh okay, fair enough. And then secondly. Hello, what about you? In your face. Like, what is this? We should, what is this? Richard, we should torture Thorin with 1980s teen movies as one of our as one I of mean, our plots. Listen, <laughs> our I, 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 I gotta say, like that th there's there's not a lot in, in that genre I like, but if I but when you atom smash it with horror like this, I I a hundred percent can fuck with it. Uh we'll get a cycle we'll get a cycle of the Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's yeah. Day Off, Pretty in Pink, St. Elmo's fire <laughs> some of the problems this movie had in some senses was okay. like it's just like some of the dialogue even to set up some of the scenes is so silly like that scene mm. where the vampire turns his mate the evil head guy into a familiar that's a good concept but why did they do that whole thing where it's like yeah if you really didn't believe you'd walk down this bloody alley and then the second that his mate leaves the vampire guy just comes in like alright fuck it like come on man like that that's just so like ropey the way it's put together you know what I mean like yeah, just, I, I could have done it better I'll, I'll, I'll I'll come along for a little bit of criticism here, right? I will okay. say there is that definitely there's aspects of this thing happens because it has to to advance the plot. <laughs> there, there is a lot of that. I don't know what the technical that's term is. Part, not... That's part of the yeah. genre from which this this film arises. Yeah, I uh, see. That's why I don't mind it. I, I I think like if this was happening in like let's say you know in a deeply serious vampire movie. Right, like yeah, it would be shit, but it's not a deeply serious vampire movie. This is this is a teen comedy uh coming of age story with a, a vampire framing device. And so certain things have to happen, you know, to keep that narrative tension in there. I mean, look, there's some deeper themes at work. Uh, it's not just all about the sex, although we are going to talk about the sex some more. Um because <laughs> we really it's a lot of it. But, you know, look, I mean, Roddy McDowell's arc is it's a man who finds his faith. It's about it's about rediscovering God. It's about Christianity. There's all, you know, the iconography in this fucking movie. You know, like, vampires don't even eat. This motherfucker's eating an apple in every scene. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> the most biblical of fruit. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, th there's... There's, there's everybody gets a satisfying arc, and there are so many themes that are layered. It could have been a, a tonal nightmare, it, you know. But as I said, it, it, it really blends all the ingredients together well, and and so I will forgive it some of its transgressions. Which yes, structurally it suffers. Yes, it could, probably could have cut ten minutes out of the movie. Um, and you know, I love the effects at the end. There's a couple of bits that aren't so great. And there's also some things that don't even make sense. Like putting a pencil through a vampire's hand oh, should that make him so terrible, I know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> why why oh, but a pencil looks like a steak. You know, the point is you put <laughs> the steak in the heart. Like yeah, exactly. the pencil, that was weird. The pencil in the hand. So there is some whack shit, but it's like you know what? That it it's got such a strong 
identity. It's got such a strong feel. And by the way, I, I don't care about those other things. To me, this movie, especially when you look at the timeline and when it came out, this movie is very heavily owing a debt to the likes of Salem's Lot. Like the beginning basically is Salem's Lot. Like if you think about how that movie goes, like, well, and they're obviously doing that scene a million times where you go put the cross out. Although, listen, it can't even be as good as in Salem's Lot because that's the one with James May saying, hey, yeah, put your faith against the you master. Come, yeah, you come that's one the best scenes ever. It's one of the best scenes ever, isn't it? So, no, but like, but, no, but like, actually, what's great about the Salem's Lot reference is. It, it 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 shows that you can approach almost you know the same material in in your broadly different ways. That house oh. at the end of Fright Night looks like the house from Salem's yeah, yeah. Lot. The yep. final battle is a yep. lot like Salem's Lot. Uh, you know, and it's, it's that whole trope of like if it's in suburbia, which is basically all the eighties horror movies. If it's in suburbia, yeah. it's supposed to be this safe environment where you never have to worry about that. But that's always where the next door neighbor's the fucking burbs type motherfucker in it. Yeah, and and you know, look, that's why I I think that you know this is a this film, you know, uh, directorially, uh, it's Tom Holland, right? This not this Spider Man, loves... by the way, not Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, not... yeah. yeah. <laughs> this this guy loves films. He loves films. He, if it was anyone else, I'd say, oh, they're just ripping off Salem's Lot. And in in someone else's hands, it could have played out like that. But it's clear for me when you see these little references, they are homage. A hundred percent. I think this is a guy who just loved cinema and found a really cool way to smuggle in some unbelievably like highbrow references into what should be lowbrow fodder material. Hey, look, it succeeds at what it's trying to do. Like I tend to mm. judge movies on and what this is trying to do from the very first scene. I think the first scene of this this movie is just absolutely brilliant because they have the tv on in the background and you don't know it sounds like a it sounds so cheesy because it is a you know cheesy vampire movie that's playing but you find out mm. later that that's just on the tv and the actual thing that's going on is them making out on the floor not paying attention to the movie it's such a strong opening sequence that contains so many of it, it sets up the tone perfectly and contains the themes that continue to permeate the movie moving forward so i think it's i think it's great and i don't mind the whole trope of the alley like i think that at evil ed which is the character where they call him Ed or Evil, uh, going into the alley. He's one and of the shits his characters in it. He is whatever. fucking terrible. The actor is god awful. Just like that is... guy. I hope he never did make any of the movies. So he here's, had no here's a fun fact. So I was guy. I was watching I was watching with my wife last night, and she looked him up because she hated him. Yeah, after yeah, this movie, yeah. apparently he... Stephen Jeffries. <laughs> apparently, he had a very successful career in gay pornography yep. later on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, themselves. The we, 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 we are we are, we are going to be we are going to be talking about that. Uh, yeah. Not that, but how, how, how the oh, faces. Your, your but, opinions but he, on gay porn. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got some, got some ideas. Got like, some bangers. He, so what you have what you have to understand is this kind of was he was in the Twilight Zone the same year, but he after this. It is downhill, and he's constantly chasing that high. He did a bunch of like low, low rent um, horror movies, but probably the movie he's known for more than this is uh, Robert Englund's directorial debut, uh, which is Nine Seven Six Evil. Okay, this movie is. People don't know that's the actor who played Freddy Krueger. Yeah, this this that movie is insane. <laughs> like, and it's got this guy is in it. Um, so yeah, he is terrible. He is terrible. 
And uh, but I, you know what? Again, I don't even hate him in this. Well, I don't, I get out. All right, I I agree. I, I agree don't. with Thorin's takes. The kids are fucking bad in this movie. Even the main actor's really bad. He's, He's like bad. so fucking so ridiculously one-dimensional that his acting skill is terrible. Yeah, and it's... it's like, yeah, he's a vampire! Hey, mate! Like, that may as well just be him, though. No, he's a vampire! Because that's the other thing. The one thing I will say, look, I understand in horror movies, it's like saying, like, why did they all split up? Like, that is the point of the movie, for fuck's sake. Yes. Like, it'd be yeah, shit yeah. if they all went and arrested the police there. But even so, this guy, one of his major flaws in this movie is he never, ever understands, like, just going up and going, that's a vampire, it doesn't work. Like, like you got to, you know, you got to have evidence, you got to get some scene. You can't constantly be going, no, this is vampire, honest. Well, it's I'm, it's I'm, also I'm that he never, I mean, this is just a flaw with the writing, but he never needed to prove it was a vampire. All he needed to do was prove the vampire was killing prostitutes. He's just a murderer. It doesn't matter if he's supernatural yeah. or not, right? And if he had literally seen these women at the house, like, come on, man, like, that, there's strong evidence there. But beyond the point, like, that's kind of a poorly written way to do this. I think that we've seen because Chris Sarandon and Roddy McDowell exist in this movie and are really yeah, good yeah, in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was definitely room for better acting amongst the teenage characters. And we've also seen many, many really good performances from uh, of teenagers in this era. Like, think about. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Fast Times mm -hmm. at Ridgemont High. Like, there's a bunch of really well-performed movies by people who are supposed to be teenagers. So it can be done. It has been done. This was this. These movies were so common during this era. This is just the vampire twist on it, as Richard said earlier. I mean, by the way, it makes sense. Like, if you're just getting some nobody in a movie that's like the first movie you're making, and it's a teenage character, they're going to be a shit actor. That goes without saying. I mean, look, it, 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 there's there's a lot of things in this where it's like, again, I, I, I've got faith these were deliberate choices. I've got faith oh, that when you've cast... Uh, I've got faith that when you cast a 24-year-old William Ragsdale who's never acted before, in a, in, not in a serious movie... Um, you, you know, I, I, you know the type of performance you're going to get. And the type of performance you're going to get is a hokey, bad acting, college... You think it's meant to be, like, simplistic... Be right. Hear me like... again. Hear me out. This is another one of Richard's crazy theories, right? Okay, <laughs> so just chill, and then, and then we'll get to all the gay stuff in this movie. So, <laughs> right. Um, if you wanted to make a cheesy, hokey piece of Americana horror movie where teenagers who aren't even teenagers, like he's 24 playing a 17-year-old, the, the difference that was between all 17... the movies. That was all the movies. Yeah, like exactly. Ferris well, yeah, Bueller, exactly. it, Matthew Broderick was the same age in That's Ferris That's what Bueller. I'm saying. So Tom Holland's looking at this like oeuvre of a fucking this collection of movies, and they're all they're all these 25-year-old, sometimes like 35-year-old teenagers. And he's gone, okay, well, that is the, that is what the movies look like. That is what a teen comedy is. We don't yes. have teens in our teen but comedies. So he goes and gets, like, little-known first-time actors who he knows are going to be terrible because that is the tone he wants for the movie. And he has enough faith in his other casting choices, which, as I said, you know, um, Chris Saarinen's a super underrated dude. He's, like, a really interesting cat. He'll always be Jack Skellington for me. Oh, yeah. That's, how, that's a very that's interesting story. Too about how he yeah. got that role, but yeah, how, how was that going? Oh, in. Uh, I'll, because I'll finish my point. <laughs> sorry, I sorry. I'm being serious. I, I love the epic and, I, and I love Nightmare Before Christmas. So, uh, so just uh, very, uh, the quickest way to do this um, is because uh, um, in that movie when they were making Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, their the original choice 
was for Danny Elfman to voice the role. So they actually did oh, do all of the voice lines. They recorded them with Danny Elfman, but apparently he was just really bad. He was really yeah, bad. Yeah, that, um, that sounds believable. And uh, Henry Selleck, who directed it, apparently had to go to Danny Elfman and like be like, look, man, I know you love this character. I know you tried really hard, but this kind of fucking sucks. So we have to replace, you know, your speaking voice yeah. with with Chris Sarandon. Um, that's actually, I think that story's in the movies that made us on Netflix about oh, Nightmare Before Christmas, if you want to watch that. But anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll continue. I'll Sorry. Yeah, but, anyway, <laughs> but, but so what I'm saying is because he, he's got Chris Sarandon nails it. And of course, Roddy McDowell adds the gravitas t to this movie. He is the, the, the gravitas right at the center of the movie. What's interesting is this is a teen comedy where probably uh, the, the, the real character, the, almost like the real protagonist is the aging movie oh, star sure. Peter Vincent. Um, it's about him refining, it's, it's, it's not only about him finding his faith, it's about him achieving relevance, giving his career some meaning, because he's a has-been. He's not, no, he's not even a has-been. It, it, it's implicit there. It was a never was. His movies were terrible. He wasn't even a Vincent Price. So, <laughs> and he, he lives uh, in, you know, despite having been in all these movies and hosting yeah, this thing, he lives in a it, shitty little apartment that he's getting he evicted agrees, from. <laughs> he agrees to help these teenagers he's just met for $500. He's that down <laughs> on his luck. It beckons. I have just been offered a starring role in a major film. I, I have even had to quit right night. And so you see... I'll give you money. How much? I have a $500 savings bond. I'll take it. And so I, I think when he casted these actors, he knew it was going to be tonally terrible. But actually, that is what you would do if you were making this movie seriously and, and, and at face value and not in the smart meta way that it's actually made. I think these casting choices are deliberately terrible. And I think... I, and I, and, and, and I think that's why it works for me. I think if you cast Matthew Broderick in the main role as Charlie Brewster, this movie is significantly better. I think if you do that, I think this, I don't even think it can, I think you lose all the tone. I, 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 I think the, I think the hysterical <laughs> overacting of the main character, who, fair enough, he did go on a star in some classics like Big Mama's House 2. <laughs> Roadhouse 2. <laughs> Not even Roadhouse Wait, 1. Roadhouse whoa. 2. There's a Roadhouse 2? <laughs> yeah, I'm going straight to video his, It's going to be my his guess. Next, his next biggest movie after this, like when you realise this guy wasn't going to make it, because Fright Night and Fright Night Part 2, Fright Night Part 2 got fucked up by the studio. They didn't market the sequel at all, considering Fright Night, I think, was it was the biggest grossing horror movie of the summer of 85. Where, you know, it, it, it had a budget of under 10 million, and made like 25 at the box office. That was that's like unheard of for a horror film. Um, but anyway, it looked like he was gonna make it. Fright Night, Fright Night Part Two, he's coming out of the 80s, then he gets cast in Mannequin 2, not even the good mannequin, and then it's all downhill from there. And before you know it, he has to take like a hiatus and then he's doing Rodas 2. He's not a good actor, I totally get it, but he's not a good actor, and he's playing a film where he's meant to be a hokey 24-year-old teenager. So it's perfect. And so I, I wouldn't want anyone else in this movie. I absolutely would not. I think you lose all of the movie's charm if you cast good actors so in those roles. I disagree with you, but fine. <laughs> We're well, to disagree. disagree. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is where I'll, 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 I've got to get Duncan in for this one. 
There's a couple of readings for this because it's all about sexuality and there's a ton of stuff. The thing is, I just want to say this one detail. Like, bear yeah, in mind the I'm... order that people are going to see these episodes in. Obviously, people are going to have seen the episode with the hunger. All I'm mm. going to say is this. I think Monty has constructed the most ridiculous artifice <laughs> for enjoying movies ever, which is he pretends it's not about actually him, the human, just watching a movie. He, he has to go in knowing the expectations and what they were trying to do with the movie, and then he decides if he liked it or not. Like, because all the criticism he gave to the hunger i want you to keep that energy guys remember all the things like the acting and the casting and then he goes to this movie this is fucking awesome like what are you talking well, that, like, can, can you read the guy who reviewed the hunger please no what the no fuck? like no so that's I, the to me no because i'm you know, never gonna talk about any of the acting in any of that movie and then talk about this one like that's not your damn it because i don't think the actors had to act in that movie that's my yeah, point. Okay. I, I think there was very little room for actual acting because it was a mood piece. And I did think a lot of The Hunger was successful on its own terms for what it was was trying to do. I just didn't like the end very much, right? Yeah, I mean, these it, it is. It is. I don't too... think the acting was bad in, in The Hunger. I just think you didn't have to do anything. I think it was just non-existent. There is some thematic overlap. <laughs> like, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, like... But there is some thematic overlap. I mean, this is what I wanted to touch about. Obviously, there is the, you know, the sex act as uh, a sort of necessary predation in, in The Hunger is probably something we didn't talk about much. Um, you know, they seduce because that's ultimately the vampire superpower, although it's never explicitly said whether or not it's a power that they actually have yes. or if it's just a skill yep. they craft over time because they get to work on their Riz game for fucking centuries, <laughs> right? Um, but, like, in this movie, right, I mean, the the... The, the main character, like Jerry Dandridge fucks, guys. Like this guy <laughs> fucks and, and he's had centuries to perfect his game. And so there's a bit right at the start of the movie, Duncan, which is probably a bit on the nose, but I just love it. He's there, he's got one of the prostitutes. He's seducing her yeah. and, and, and Charlie notices. <laughs> and, and, and bathed in red neon because his room's got red neon in it for some reason. He has a Coors neon sign yeah, in his room as a teenager. Yeah. So ridiculous. As a teenager. That's <laughs> what I mean. Oh, this movie's so good. And then he, he pulls out some binoculars, right? Oh, he... yeah. I like the way that is a trope in American movies. Yeah. In American movies, maybe it's from Ray Window. You're yeah, not a weirdo cunt for using binoculars <laughs> to look at your neighbors from. <laughs> You're not a weirdo. They're the weird one if they're doing something in their house. Like yeah. that already says so much about the American. When he's watching this vampire, even though they're only about 10 meters away, and he's just looking straight through an open window into his window. He's never aware that, like, what if he just looks back at me like, oh, Jesus. I love it, man. And Jerry fucks, Charlie watches. It's so good. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Rear Window. It, 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 There's definitely a lot of that element yeah. built into it, yes. It, it just is Rear Window for yes, teenagers. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but when wait, you're that's a teenager. 
but the vampire that I look, I get this is built into the movie that you, you can't say this part. But like my first thing I would go to is oh, look at me. He's about look at his weird fingers. Look, because his fingers have to have those nails like all curious. Which all the vampires have, we all know in these movies. Like, oh, look at this. I'm an ancient guy. Like, because that's the one part that gives him away in it by whatever. You can't really just go look at that. So, by the rest. so uh, just to the point about Americans and this like weird, you know, cuckolding slash uh, voyeuristic <laughs> thing he that exists. With a woman and he doesn't just go, oh, he's having sex. He goes, wait a minute. It's like, at that point, I'm not even real with you anymore so, in the movie, you weird cunt. Why are you so, watching people through? So, but so, I, I, like, I, but, but I yeah, think... Anyone, yeah, he's just fucking having sex. We're like, I, I think Massive this, as well. This plays into the, you know, <laughs> obviously porn was a lot harder to get in the in the 1980s. Yeah. You know, this would be like Steal, true, steal yes. Your Dad's Playboy magazine era, right? Yes. And so I think that this does tap into the teenage well, fascination. Are, if you remember, the scene when he's looking through the window, you see it comes through, he has like crisp packets, like a Playboy or something, or across the floor and it's like yes. actually that is implied that like yeah there's like a lack of that sort of stuff yeah and so yeah. i think this is it does i like that scene a lot because again it shows the difference in sexual dynamics between him and and jerry dandridge and it, it, that teenage fascination so there is this there's this distance between him and sexuality that is symbolized within that scene of him kind of secondhand appreciating this sexuality right or being irresistibly drawn to it while still having that fear and the fear is that he knows mm. this guy's a vampire right because that's the scene where the fangs come out um and it's like all of sex is now wrapped in this aura of terror for him right yeah. it's either existential terror of i don't know what the fuck to do or it's literal terror in the case of the vampire that is draining this woman that is his fascination because remember he's fascinated both with sex and with these horror movies and now they're coming together in this really weird time in his life and this really weird strange way in his own psyche and that wrapping it all together that is the core of what is interesting in this movie right mm. is intertwining the supernatural vampire with his own sexual awakening. Now, as for, I just, as the only American on this show, Americans, to your point about American fascination with this, remember where Americans came from. We came from the people who were too fucking weird to keep living in England, and all of American culture is still permeated by this sexual taboo. To this day, the Puritan beliefs run very deep in the American psyche, and sexuality is still bizarrely transgressive in the year 2023 and all of that has its origins because we came from the most unsexy people in the history of humanity the fucking puritans right the most unsexy and that that is just a common trope in american culture and people who aren't americans i think don't understand that weird hang up as much but i think it is reflective of the american psyche by the way, yeah. I will say though, one part that is fuck, it's actually pure top draw comedy if you're not viewing this as a serious movie. If you know it's not supposed to be serious, that scene where they just explain, like, you know, it's not like vampires though, you just don't invite him in the house, that's all. Yeah. And then they explicitly go, it's actually the homeowner has to invite him. And then right <laughs> after that, he goes, like, darling, come downstairs. And then when she comes down, like, his mom just explains, like, I've just invited him in now. <laughs> and great. the way that guy, because he knows that, like, basically, this is the only part that is a bit too better contextual. Like, the vampire 
Empire himself knows that no one will believe you ever in any context. So he's just fucking throwing it right in your face. Like, well, yeah. now that your mother's invited me in, <laughs> you know, you're probably thinking yeah. I'd never go why I'm not invited. I'll maybe pop by any time I feel like I want. It. Yeah. Quickly, just so like, with permission, of course. Like, But the way he's just doing it right to his face, like that, just wrecking him. What's the matter, Charlie? Afraid I'd never come over without being invited first? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're quite right. Of course, uh, now that I've been made welcome, I'll probably drop by quite a bit. In fact, anytime I feel like it. With your mother's kind permission, of course. It's but again, so good. it's like it's it's another <laughs> it's another classic teenage fear that's being represented in like such a the person that your mother's going for is like the replacement Dude, well it's also it's also about that right? it's, his bully. it's his bully he's coming into his house and yes. fucking his mother yes. it's the exactly. yeah exactly yeah. because he's he's part we don't yes. know where his dad is he has a single yeah. mom right yep. and she yeah. she foreshadows this by saying like oh i hear he's this man who moved next door yeah. is oh, also so so it's set up and she's like she's like clearly she's clearly interested in having him over which is why the inviting into the house thing is so i think it's very funny and it's very well done um but yeah there's this other fear too that again wraps up in this sexuality is that as as a teenager when he is first exploring his own sexuality, it's also the realization that his mom has a sexuality and that she is not getting any because she's not, mm. you know, married or in a relationship and she's actively searching that out. And the fact that his mom might also be fucking this guy, his mom, his mom wants to fuck this guy. His girlfriend wants to fuck this guy. Like that is a, that is a, that's a lot for him to handle. In terms of his no. own psychology, but but but, it, but again, think about what's happening in the eighties. The eighties, you know, is really. I know we were all meant to be about you know sexual liberation in the sixties and seventies. I mean, you know, sort of like the concept of. It, it sounds so absurd to say out loud, but this is how fucked things were for women like for so long but like the concept of the female orgasm is getting pushed now right like this is like as in you know it's like not some mysterious thing like like as in it's something that should be achieved in sexual coupling so that you have women's sexual liberation this is a story where all the women in it are sexually frustrated and in glides this super sophisticated man that like he's not even a, he's not even about that up front he's charming Kisses the hand. It's very like traditional. He knows what women want. He fucks. He can do it. You watch. He does it. Yeah. And, and 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 all the women around. I mean, there's not many female characters in it to be fair, and those that are aren't particularly you know well written. They don't give Amanda Burse a lot to do in this film. Um, uh, Except you know, that but, mental transformation where your face goes up. Which, which I'll always that get will you forever. That will yeah, absolutely yeah. live with you forever. That yeah. Way. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's what I mean. There's, there's there's so much going on in this movie. There's even, and for all the talk about you know straight sexuality, there is a definite gay reading of this film. And right. I've 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 said before, the vamp the vampire genre will always lend itself to gay readings because of how gay men had to lead these closeted lives. And again, I have to believe that when you make these casting choices, you're informing your art. You want the final piece to look like this, so you put the ingredients in a certain way. Yeah. And obviously, Roddy McDowell was a closeted man. He never admitted he was... It, it, it's 
well recorded by biographers that he was gay, but he okay. never publicly outed himself until he, he until he passed away. And you know, the idea of him being in this movie, obviously Amanda Burst came out as when she was doing Married with Children, she came out as being a lesbian. We had obviously uh, Evil Ed, turns out he's doing gay porn. I don't know if it's gay for pay or he's bisexual. Or, he looks or like a twink anyway, mate. You could see that coming a mile away. <laughs> so, so, you know, so, so th there is this, like, think about it. He moves into a neighborhood. He lives with a guy, his thrall. It's two dudes who live together, right? For real. Two dudes who live together, and then, oh, there's this young boy like watching him with these women, and he's seen an aspect of himself, this double life that he leads, that he has to in order to survive, but he, Charlie knows his secret. He's going to out him. The terror, like, what do you do with that? And, and I, I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty convinced all of that stuff is in there knowingly that for all the it, it, it we drape straight sexuality over it so it plays well to the you know target audience but really at the heart of it this is about uh, a closeted man being outed well you I, know he I, so i i think you know there is that scene when he gets stabbed with the pencil uh and there is like the erotic like it's a pretty erotic scene when he's going back and getting his wound dressed by the guy's mm. head being surprisingly clo close to Very his crotch. Tender. And they are, he's also in the same window knowing that Brewster is watching him again. Right. Yep. So it's a mirror of the scene that happened that was very sexual that happened with the prostitute previously. And so the uh, there is a, there is some homoerotic imagery. And also, I mean, just the fact like you pen, you, the whole goal is to penetrate these guys with stakes. <laughs> Everybody's just obsessed with pe you know, penetrating vampires in this movie. <laughs> like the primary goal is to penetrate the vampire. You know, maybe there, there is. I don't know. Maybe I have. Maybe so, I have just a mind that goes there. But no, 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 For no. me, no, yeah, no. But, know, but, I, but the. I think what's interesting about vampires and what was interesting about the hunger, but the common theme of vampires is that if you live long enough, you will eventually experiment with the breadth of human experience. Sure, sure. Right. Sure. These are people who are vastly more wise than the average human because they've been alive for centuries. And the implication is always kind of pansexuality for vampires. So I don't know if it's necessary. Like there are, I think, gay undertones to this movie 100 percent. But I think it's that vampires explore every facet of sexuality, not necessarily that they are straight or gay. They are neither. Right. Mm -hmm. They are just pansexual. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that that's also also another thing. I mean, like I, I've talked about this on other content that I've done, um, but sort of like, and it, it's really hard for people to grasp. But there was a there was a big period in the eighties where, yeah, we've had years and years of like you know homophobia and you know obviously the gay rights movement to get equal standing uh, with with heterosexuals in society and clause twenty eight in the UK and all of that stuff. But what's what's interesting is there's a period cannabis was coming out of the AIDS crisis where bisexuality is the real taboo. Everybody hated the bi's uh, <laughs> because the narrative in the mainstream media who covered the again the AIDS crisis so you know shockingly at the time you know they 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 were like look this is a disease that affects gay people disproportionately um it won't get you if you're straight and 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 then what well the bisexuals are doing both they're, they're killing us the bi there was literal bisexual oh. fear there was hysteria about bisexual people and and you know again i, I remember it very vividly growing up 
Um, that, you know, it was like you used to hear bigots say things like, well, at least the gays stick to their own. You, you would hear these outrageous sentiments. And so there is another reading, you know, where you can look at this and say, uh, you know, what, what, what he's doing is essentially this, again, he's, he's, a, he's a bisexual. He's a sort of above it. He can seduce women. He lives with a man. He has a very tender, loving relationship with his thrall who attends to all of his needs. He's aristocratic. He's sophisticated. Um, he has tasted the finer things in life and um, wants to partake of all of them. So, I mean, yeah, look, there's, there's multiple ways to read this. I, I, the, the best probably way to frame it is it's just a meditation on sexuality as a broad concept and all the you know different variations thereof but i mean for sure I, I i think i think it's a super interesting film just for that alone like it's it's really really stark that clearly there is that, that this is meant to be there it's not an accident yeah i think i think where it's it's on its face this movie is one thing but the more you think about it and the more you dive into it it really reveals pretty significant depths uh, in terms of cultural commentary and human psychology, which is really surprising because if you just watch it at face value, you would not assume that it does that. Mm. I think as well, there's another part to it where it, it, it's almost like a, a kind of, it is a love letter to horror and film and how trends change. And I think it's quite deliberate that you get this yep. juxtaposition of Roddy McDowell that represents the old. And the creature the feature guys. On about how no one cares about that sort of movie anymore. Yeah, yeah. they're obviously trying to imply that, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the line is he says, um, you know, basically, yeah, like uh, you teenagers only want to watch people running around in ski masks killing teenagers or something. Unfortunately, none of your generation seems to be. What do you mean? I have just been fired because nobody wants to see vampire killers anymore, or vampires either. Apparently all they want are demented madmen running around in ski masks, hacking up young virgins. So it, it's like... She it directly is... implied like Halloween, essentially. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. it was from creature features to the like yes, serial killer exactly. slat teen slashers, right? Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, and it, and it is interesting, like, what, what happens, you know, again, there's this aspect of it, like, what happens to the people that, you know, are part of that genre when that genre, you know, no longer, you know, kind of exists anymore as a cultural phenomenon. And it's super, what's interesting is of course, Roddy McDowell's character, who's a little bit pretentious and snooty at the start, um, he can't see the irony in decrying another genre that's coming in popular when he himself only has any popularity whatsoever and cult status because he was a bit part player in genre movies. His would just happen to be about vampires. So so there is, there's a lot of really like clever bits, but I, I, this is where I definitely want to get your thoughts, Duncan. The Roddy McDowell story arc. Like, do you fuck with it or do you think it's hokey? No, I thought that was actually one of the better parts of the movie. Like, especially mm. the idea that, like, yeah, basically, I actually thought that would, they didn't make enough of it in the movie to me. They weren't, like, almost overt enough with it. Like, I think too many people will watch this movie and they will either get the first part of, like, oh, it's just a straight story about, like, a kid who knows his neighbor's a vampire and no one believes him, or they'll watch the end where it's essentially just, like, American Werewolf in London, like, crazy fucking effects yeah. and transformation. And they'll miss that the middle part of the movie is all the... Like, the joke is the Ronnie McDowell character basically is the main character. Like, it's yeah. all about, like you say, essentially, he is he is someone who LARPs that he's this, like, vampire killer, 
But essentially, that was the only thing that's given him meaning in his life. Now that period of his life is actually over, he's even lost his job. And essentially, the way he actually sort of gets like a new lease on life in, in, directly is to become what he was LARPing as. He actually sort of gets a chance to redeem his, his fucking fake character by becoming that for real. And if you look at the way the movie goes, it's not a traditional vampire movie in the sense of like it's just about killing the bad guy or whatever. But he is absolutely essential. Without that character, what is the movie? What would it be with just the kid and the vampire? Like, to me, he actually connected it all together, yeah. Yeah, and, and going from, you know, because they make his him refinding his faith. But it is interesting. It's like to go from paying lip service to an idea to actually having to live it. Uh, you know, so, and, and there's a lot of Christian iconography in, in, in here. I, sure. I've seen this movie presented as almost like a meditation on what it is to be a good Christian. <laughs> Which is, you know, like as in, as in, you know, Jerry Dandridge initially starts out as this like charming, sophisticated, good-looking guy, uh, but engages in all these like you know practices that were very, very not in the doctor. And he eats all the and apples, you know, the sin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, vampires don't even eat fucking food. What's going on? Why has he got an apple in every seat? Right. And then obviously, a, a man who's down on his luck, really unassuming, hasn't interacted with his faith in any meaningful way has almost been quite derisory and using it as a trapping a trope for something cheap and frivolous like movies has to really find his belief in a higher power in it when he does that and presents that to the vampire character the vampire character is revealed to be something monstrous in in form well, if actually, you want to read this as like you know, a christian allegory it's right there yeah. as well it's the idea of like there's one character that's just openly degenerate with sin and then what's yeah. the only way you can combat it it's not just to have the cross that the isn't enough you can't nominally exactly. because you must actually believe it and have like the force of will which is even a direct scene that's quite big in the movie i yeah. i think yeah. that while this sounds good in the way that we're talking about it the execution is very bad and when mm. we talk about finding his faith it's kind of just waved away because what he's finding is his own courage to become the thing that he pretended to be but that thing wasn't christian it was a vampire hunter <laughs> have to have faith for that to work, Mr. Vincent. Remember? <laughs> and so when it's like, oh, he found his faith and now the cross is working, I'm like, did he learn anything about God or Jesus? I... I think this could have been done well in the Christian sense, but it really just feels super shoehorned in with the apples and the, oh, now we found his faith, so it's okay. Um, you don't get the sense that he became religious or Christian in any sense. It's more that he found his own identity and his own courage rather than he found God. So it doesn't I mean, really work for me, honestly. Yeah, sure. Uh, but, but I mean, you know, obviously— I, I think you have to keep several layers of abstract. Like yeah, everything exactly. they're talking about in this film, that they're doing it in an abstract way, and so you know, it it it's like I get that. I just think it could have been done yeah, better. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I, and I I think I think you know when you when you have like uh you know kind of like arcs where where you are talking about people finding their faith and all that. Yeah, I get it. It can feel like a little bit forced, a little bit hokey. I'm sure, like certainly within the genre of horror there's not a lot of movies that necessarily explore it but one of the super interesting things that i always thought was kind of under the surface of horror is if demons are real for example well 
what else is right and sure. and we start, we start thinking about you know judeo-christian faiths and things like that and you know if vampires are real you know what else is and so sure. there's there's it's a it's a little thing it just runs through a lot a, a lot of films um but i, I but i think it's i think great. it's kind of throwaway it, in this movie that's all Okay, I, I could have done without that, and it would have been fu- it would have been fine. It's and either it's, it's, my it's, argument is either explore it properly or like just don't do it. But it feels really cool. shoehorned in here, and it didn't work for me. I, you know, I I think I think they had to give Roddy McDowell something redemptive. But he's, um, but he's, it was, that redemption already existed because he was standing up to the vampire. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, His sure, character sure, arc sure. is exactly the same with or without that. Okay, so maybe not maybe not maybe not just redemptive. There has to be a change. So he he has to stay changed for his experience, and indeed, I think know, I think if he stakes the vampire, the thing is exactly the same. It's exactly yeah. the same character arc. Let's. I do want to talk about the end of this movie though, as we wrap this sure. up, because like there's tons of stuff to discuss at the end. Because for me, this is the really interesting tonal shift where you you get all this more of the campy, hilarious, you know, B movie vibes at the start and the setup, but like by the end, it turns into. Uh, a shockingly expensive practical effects like kind of action movie that is really quite good. It, it's really quite good. It does become an effects sort of extravaganza at the end. And and when I was researching all this stuff, that's where the bulk of the budget went. I mean, they they spent big on the effects, uh, and it's great the way they hold it back into the end, and then you get it all. Yeah. It, it, I was just oh, the I transformation was of the girlfriend and the main vampire. The end yeah. is fucking mental. Yeah, like they yeah. get, they keep making it better and better with the main vampire, but the one at the end looks fucking sick. Yeah, that's and, pure eighties yeah. body horror. Yeah, and and yeah. by the way, like the the visual the visual effects guy was Richard Edland, who's one of the founders of Industrial Light and Magic, who in the right. previous few years had done. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi had just come off of making Ghostbusters, right? Eventually did Big Trouble in Little China. So this guy's like an effects god that they got to do yeah, this yeah. movie. An- another big W for practical effects right now. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Because there's, there's some of it that doesn't... Uh, some of the earlier transformations, like where you can sort of see clearly it's a mask and stuff. But what they did was at the end, I mean, like Duncan says, it's that, that final... That holds Sunlight. up to this day, mate. It looks mega, oh, doesn't it? Dude, and it's gross. It really is sickeningly yes. disgusting. <laughs> uh when when the when the sunlight and you know, the goo just coming out of him, the green, like really yeah, there's, 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 there's several like really impressive uh uh effect sequences. So when they take the evil Ed character and change him from a wolf back into a human. Uh, when he's mm. dying and they do the slow transformation as he's like reverting back to his human form after he's been staked is super good. Uh, the yep. slime coming out of the the thrall or the familiar character after they yep. stake him and he kind of disintegrates into bones is very interesting. The, yes. the bat sequence where Dandridge turns into the bat and then at the end when he gets killed and he's at, uh, has green flames all over him from the sunlight. And then also just low key as, as Thorin mentioned, the transformations into the vampire for Amy, the girlfriend as well, which by the way, I love this little touch coincided with the change in her fashion to that hair metal eighties, like the hair metal era. She looks sex element has to be tied into it because once she's been with the vampire, suddenly she's all sexy and fucking ridiculous. But it's also, she's most like, she looks like someone's fucking mom before that. Doesn't she? Yeah. And and, and, you know, she, she becomes like, 
you know, the the girl from White Snake's Here I Go Again music yeah, video, exactly. which was released in the 80s. And so she becomes like the pinnacle of like the rock and roll sexy, uh, you know, femme fatale from that era, which I thought was a really cool the end of greece that's what's going on you know (laughs) tell me about it stud it's not don't you want me anymore (gasps) it's not my fault charlie you promised you wouldn't let him get me you promised amy it's great it's just wonderful it really is like, just such a cool fun movie uh and like, like i say I, I the you know the effects they hold up the script it's smart i know we don't like all well, of the I've got one last question though what did you actually uh, think though of where they have the audacity to do the double trick at the end so they go like is everything okay when he's looking out that window and he's yeah. going like yeah it's yeah. Up, some like demon eyes like oh what is it though it's like no nah, well, which so, is so, it motherfucker which well, is they, it okay they had to do that duncan because <laughs> so the fact like, that they had to keep evil ed alive because if you think about the alternative okay remember that when they staked him and he turned back from the wolf even the cross burn from the crucifix that uh yeah. that uh, uh peter vincent hit him with disappears so at that point in time if he doesn't if he's not alive the end result of that movie is there is a dead teenage boy with a stake through his heart with no visible signs of being supernatural on the floor of their home. <laughs> and like, clearly that's going to end very poorly with the police getting involved and a bunch of people getting arrested. So they had to do something to make the end feel good. And they had to therefore remove him from that situation and make it disappear. Now, did they have to do the glowing eyes next door and the shitty ass laugh at the end? No, but I was really, when they killed him and all the signs disappeared, I was like, Oh my God, how did they get out of this one? Like just naked teenage boy dead on the floor. That's like the eighties horror version of having to watch like the aforementioned Marvel movies rich talks about you know you have to watch the post credit scene like even when they go like oh everything's going okay you know you have to wait till the very last visual scene to see if they hit there's some fucking evil shit still around and of course they do right at the very end right at the end but the, so if you got the, to go into the parking lot to leave early because you thought oh they're just making out on a bed you missed out you didn't see their equivalent of the post credit scene yeah i mean look the, the, so some context around that is obviously at the time what you did when you made a horror movie because horror movies were so like especially in the 80s they were so cheap to sort of cobble together uh i mean this this wasn't this was like kind of high production value but in general they were pretty cheap to cobble together that what you were always inclined to do was loads of 80s horror movies end with the sequel bait ending the little twist ending and again it's like when I think about this movie and tonally what they're going for and what it's what it's mimicking, you have to throw that in there. You have to have the sequel bait twist. You know, oh, he's still out there. He's coming for Charlie. You have you have to have it. I don't think they when they made this movie in '85. I don't think they thought like three four years later they were going to make a sequel. But obviously, it just happened to be a hit. So now they get the the license to do it. But, I mean, that was, like, a a trope in and of itself at the time. I mean, so many classic horror movies, you know, and 80s horror movies and late 70s horror movies. I mean, like, Nightmare on Elm Street is, like, 
why like fondly remembered if you want to talk about another ridiculous <laughs> it's a horror movie but it's not it's not I, there's no way it's serious there's no way they made it serious it wasn't meant to be as scary as people remember it but that ending when the mother just gets <laughs> the mannequin <laughs> just gets pulled through the fucking window it's and the car turns into freddy's jumper and, and the convertible it's so bad it is so laughably bad but it was what you did it was just what you did for horror movies, you know? If we if, if we make 20 million, we get to come back and do this again. So fuck it. Let's throw it in. And they they acknowledge that in this movie. I think it's homage pastiche. I don't think it's deliberate sequel bait. <laughs> I have a question. Has anybody actually seen the remake they did of this movie? Because I have not. No. I'm afraid I have. <laughs> How was it, Richard? <laughs> they did a remake, what, it's... 2011? Yeah, yeah. Uh, God, it's a long time now. I watched it when it first came out, and I didn't watch it ahead. I have no desire to ever watch it again. It's, uh, it's I. It's not saying any. It, 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 it's a literal narrative retelling with none of the interesting subtext. There's, you know, Colin Farrell, a stupid, sexy vampire man, is a good choice. He's he's probably the best thing about the movie. I seem to remember. I, I just I just fuck with Colin Farrell. Honestly, I just like him. Um, you know, I think he he's an actor that I think is super interesting in the projects he chooses. And it's like he knowingly picks shit films because he can, <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and does something amazing like the Banshees of Inisherin or whatever. You know. So, um, but yeah, there, there's no cause to. Yeah, remember it. You know, I think the this... sequel, the, the original sequel to this, is much more interesting a, a, a film, and it should have done a lot better than it did. It, it was, it, they didn't even, yeah, give I think it a wide cinema release. I think the problem with remaking this movie is that this is kind of the opposite of Event Horizon, where the Event Horizon premise is what's strong about it, right? And the execution mm. is is disappointing. Whereas this film, the premise is actually not very interesting. It's okay. But it's not super compelling. And so the the entirety of why this movie, why Fright Night is good, is the execution and the way the story is told. And to your to your points, Richard, about the framing of this within the concept of the hosting of the television, like B horror movies, right? And so if you lack all of the charm of how this is done as a period piece from the 80s, yeah. it, it's nothing. It really is nothing. Yeah. It's it's very mediocre. Yeah, I, and and look, I, I think I think that's the that that is crucial to understand. Like, what's great about movies? Why why there's such a incredible art form is that when you get a movie, I can't believe I'm saying this about fucking Fright Night, by the way. <laughs> Whatever, the point will still stand. You are getting a a time capsule like nothing else, and this and a, and a, you know, with horror, I think especially, you get this cultural imprint of everything that's going on. It is like looking at those, you know, fucking statues in Pompeii when everyone's just frozen it, frozen it in time, leading their lives. Like, like even somebody who was there, you because attitudes change, and you're like the frog in the boiling pot of water. You don't feel like you've undergone change. You might not even notice like things that are changing around you. But then you go and look at a movie and go, holy shit, was it like actually like that? What we you know, like what did culture think and feel? And so Fright Night has 
at its core, like a lot of ideas that are very 80 sensibilities, that it's very, it's coded in a way that it is about things that are going on culturally in the 80s, that maybe you can't even do that now. Maybe you did a remake with even the same coding and in, in the same imprinting and released it in 2023. It wouldn't have any significance. Those I mean, just, just look at, long, yeah. I mean, this this is very, as you, as you say, said earlier, Richard, this is very edgy sexually. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for a teen movie today. Do you mm. see any of that shit in Stranger Things, which is cosplaying as a as an 80s? You will notice that the sex teen comedy has gone the way of the fucking dodo. <laughs> we don't do them anymore. I, well, what was the last major one? Like American Pie and all of its imitators. After that, all of a sudden. I mean, super bad, maybe. Yeah, maybe, you know. So uh, but we're, we're, it's it's it was a huge genre staple in the 80s i mean we talked about on another episode porky's was a top three box office grossing movie the year it came out <laughs> like, that's it's fucking in, you couldn't <laughs> yeah it's that is so you think about police academy police academy just has a, has a scene in it where a police officer pays a prostitute to hide under a podium and give a, a an unexpected blowjob to the person coming up to make a speech for banter <laughs> and that's that that was like a, 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 i mean he got an r rating but that was essentially framed as like this is a fucking family comedy i mean all the other all the other police academy movies are like pg-13s so it's like yeah it's just weird it's just weird how like we've we've got a little bit more puritanical in a way and we've shelled a lot a lot of this um but even by that standard fright night has a lot of edgy things that you you know that are it, it it's not like the silly animal house <laughs> we're looking in the showers there's something a bit more edgy going on here the the real the, there's something a bit more adult going on here in this teen comedy about sex <laughs> so yeah, it's it's like I, I I really fuck with this movie. I don't know, like maybe I shouldn't. Maybe my, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I but I really do. I really I think it's do. Right. I, yeah, I really I really like this movie um a lot and uh I it's it's more interesting than it might appear at first glance. You have any final thoughts, Thorne? No, I should look at that. <laughs> All right, next week guys, we are going to be doing The Lost Boys, which is another kind of teen mm. coming of age movie, vampire film, very different from this one though, less sexy for sure. Uh starring Kiefer Sutherland, and then after that, it will be Near Dark. So thanks for joining us for our four episodes of the 1980s vampire genre. We'll see you next week. 